Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. We're kind of in a holding pattern at the moment. We're waiting for Nintendo to either announce a new Nintendo Direct or release its first big game, but we do have a lot of news to go over, including several trailers. Then in the main segment, we're going to get a review of the latest Ace Attorney collection, plus some impressions of a, a Xbox 360 launch title coming to Switch. Uh, joining me for that is Game Informer's Charles Hart. Charles, how are you doing? Hello. I'm doing well. I've solved many court cases, and I'm here to brag about it. Yeah, it's a weird juxtaposition that we're going to be going over on the main segment. You are solving crimes, and my character is committing heinous crimes. So uh, maybe one day uh, Apollo Justice will represent Agent 47 <laughs> when he has to answer for his crimes. But it's been a while since I've had you on the show. How have you been? I've been good. I've been, you know, enjoying my Switch. I, uh, I've mentioned you recently. My, I got the Tears of the Kingdom limited edition Switch, so that's my uh, very jealous. My new thing. I've also uh, replaced the shell on my Pro controller. Ooh. Um, so it's like a transparent green now. Is it just like the stock Pro controller that you have? The it's like yeah. the the dark gray or black one. Yeah, and now it's got that like. Uh, you know, two thousands era crystal kind of see through, so you can see in, inside it and stuff. It's very cool. I like how back in the day. I don't know if this was true because you're like, I don't know how old you are. You're you're pretty young. <laughs> you're a, a fraction of my age. We'll say. Uh-huh. Back in the day, when uh, when like everybody had their controllers, like when you'd have like friends over and we were playing N sixty four, and somebody brought like the third party see through controller. Uh-huh. That was the one you did not want to get. <laughs> that was the one you did not want to use. But now everybody's nostalgic for it. So it, it's just a weird thing to like be like, oh, now it looks like those crappy controllers that we never wanted to use back then. But yeah. like, I mean, unless it was like the, the see-through first party ones, those were always cool. I My memory is like, uh, and maybe I'm imagining this, like a Game Boy Advance that was like purple and see-through oh, yeah. a little bit. I think that's where my... Any nostalgia I had comes from that. But yeah, I didn't have, I, I've mentioned before, like my first actual console I owned was a Wii. Um, oh my God. And how old were you when you got that? Do I, do I even want to know? I think I was uh, seven or eight. No, Jeez. I was seven when I got my DS and I was eight when I got my Wii. I remember being in college when the Wii came out and <laughs> a, uh, one of the guys in the dorm went to Walmart for the midnight release and came back just basically singing with excitement, like literally like <laughs> playing. We, we were talking about uh, the name Apollo Justice, reminding us of Apollo Creed before we started recording. And he was literally doing the Rocky theme song as he walked <laughs> into the dorm with the Wii over his head. And we all greeted him like he was the heavyweight champion of the world. Wow. Just with so much excitement. And he got, you know, Wii Sports, which we all thought was going to be garbage because it was, you know, it was a pack-in game. Who uh-huh. cares about that? And then he got uh, Twilight Princess and Red Steel. And Red Steel was the one everybody was so excited for because that was the one that like they used in all the trailers as like, oh, you can play it as a gun or a sword. And Mm -hmm. everybody was like, oh, let's fire that up. Let's do that one. And then like he just wasn't working properly. He immediately died. And we're like, wow, man cool system <laughs> like he was so frustrated because like you know the, the the base motion controls of the wii were not the greatest and oh, yeah. you know basically to nintendo's own admission when they put out the wii motion plus 
that, uh, you know, they could improve that technology. But um, yeah, I think that first Red Steel, I mean, a lot of people love the second one, but that first one was uh, pretty lacking and disappointing from what I understand. I often hear about games like that and I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this before. I really need to fill in my knowledge. And then you finish the story and I was like, oh, no, I think I'm good. <laughs> Red Steel 2, uh, that was the one that used Wii Motion Plus. From all okay. indications, that one was the the thing that that first game should have been. Um, so if you if you want to dust off your Wii, go... It's hooked up. Ch- I mean, plug in a Wii Motion Plus and play Red Steel 2 if you want to. <laughs> so I'm hearing that's a, that's a great game. That was one that I never had a chance to buy because I think I had kind of moved on from the Wii by the time a lot of the Wii Motion Plus games had come out. Yeah. Um, I think I was kind of like over the, the motion control gimmick by that point, which was great because then Xbox and PlayStation started leaning heavily into it with Kinect and PlayStation Move. But um, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was very excited for Kinect when it came out. That was if that tells you about I was like 11 or 12. So My parents have gotten into a lot of the gimmicks that these systems have put out. Like they had a connect and they would do like the video calls with us. It always just devolved mm. into us trying to confuse the dogs. Like we would just try <laughs> to like talk to the dogs through the TV and the dogs didn't care. It, they, uh-huh. For some reason they don't, at least my dogs didn't respond to their names being called over the the video calls. It was only like if you were in person, but uh, they also bought a PlayStation VR. Oh. So like they have they've followed the industry trends, uh, some of them more ill fated than others, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's where we're at. Which you know, speaking of industry trends, Ooh. we're in our first news item: Pal World. It's been taking the world by storm. Charles, have you had a chance to check out anything related to Pal World? Um, my main experience is I was on the MinMax bonus pod this week, and I was talking with uh, Haley from MinMax, who is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the like legal ramifications that people have been talking about with this game. So I haven't actually played it yet, but I had like a recent conversation about uh, just how interesting it is and how yeah. angry people are about it. And I well, think the, it's fascinating. The ramifications that you're talking about is basically like, you know, the elevator pitch that a lot of people have basically memed into existence at this point is it's described as Pokemon with guns. Mm hmm. And, you know, that's an oversimplification of it, obviously. It's more of like a survival game and like, you know, you can put the Pokemon or sorry, pals to work. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's sold over 8 million copies in less than a week. And it's, I would say, probably the most talked about game of 2024 so far. Yeah. And the problem is that a lot of the creature designs really, really, really look familiar if you're a fan of Pokemon. And that's why we're talking about it on this episode, because I guess enough people came to the Pokemon company with these questions about like, hey, what do you think about these character designs or these monster designs that sure do look inspired? Like one of the main trailers shows the character, the like your, your protagonist riding a creature that looks like a spitting image of Gyarados. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Pokemon company issued a formal statement that uh, is pretty rare when it comes to like inquiries such as this. And it, uh, it, in typical Nintendo slash Pokemon company fashion, they don't directly name <laughs> Pal World or the developer, but they, it's pretty obvious that's who they're talking about. So here's what the quote says. It's quote, we've received many inquiries regarding another company's game released in January 2024. I wonder which one they're talking about. We have not granted any permission for the use of Pokemon intellectual property or assets in that game. We intend to investigate and take appropriate measures to address any acts that infringe on intellectual property rights related to the Pokemon. 
We will continue to cherish and nurture each and every Pokemon and its world and work to bring the world together through Pokemon in the future. So, I mean, it if they do end up investigating and find some wrongdoing, I feel like uh, hellfire will rain down upon the developers of Pal World. Oh, yeah. Do you think that's going to happen? Like, given I know Nintendo's pretty brutal uh, in the legal battlefield, but do, is that something you see uh, in the future? Well, it's tricky because, like, they would have to demonstrate beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt that mm-hmm. there is copyright infringement because there's, you know, inspiration isn't copyright infringement. The problem is if they say, like, if they're because there's all this speculation, I don't think it's ever been confirmed yet, but there's all this. Uh, speculation that AI was used and that may have used Pokemon assets to create some of the assets in game. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then that's a, that's a legal trickiness in there as well, because there's really not a whole lot of precedent as we're seeing with a lot of this generative AI uh, discussion. So there, I mean, I don't know if they'll be able to do too much, but I mean, if any company is going to do anything, I would imagine, I mean, Pokemon company is separate from Nintendo, but they have a lot of the same practices that I found. And when it comes to protecting their IP, they will be aggressive about that. And, you know, it's not like the developer pocket pair is out there advertising. This as Pokemon with guns. That's the fan base doing that. Right. Yeah. And they don't have like any direct Pokemon, but there are definitely things where like, there've been people putting together graphics feeling like, Hey, this is Leafeon's ears, and this is this character that looks vaguely like Leafeon, and it has the exact same ears. So, like, there are, there's definitely smoke. The question is, is there enough fire for any legal case to have a leg to stand on, right? And I mean, that's ultimately up to people with vastly different expertise and uh, way smarter than I am <laughs> to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, when I was on the the Minmax show, Haley was talking about um, the there's like four uh, things you essentially have to prove, or the four things they look at to see if it's fair use, like if you can actually use this, or if it's like copyright infringement. Um, and it's really interesting how, like, looking at it, I had you know a gut feeling of like that looks just like uh, Cinderace, but green. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hearing her break down all the individual parts where suddenly it's like, as it often is with the law, it's like, oh, this would be a lot harder to, I don't think it's as cut and dry as some people think it is. Um, and I definitely think that a company like the Pokemon company wouldn't go into it if it wasn't, you know, pretty certain of their victory. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is them just putting out the initial statement, be like, Hey, we know that you guys are saying this that this is like a ripoff of pokemon we're gonna look into it that that's what i take from this and you know if they do end up looking into it and they do find that there might be a case there then i would fully expect them to pursue it and as they say take appropriate measures to address any acts that infringe on intellectual intellectual property rights so if that ends up being the case i i think pocket pair might be in trouble because uh as we've said many times on this podcast uh pokemon is the highest grossing entertainment franchise on the planet yeah so they can afford some lawyers and um i know pocket pair has done other games but every time we say it it does it does also kind of feel like a spin on pocket monsters yeah uh, just subconscious i'm like oh 
Oh, wait, no, different guys. Different. <laughs> so that is that part of that story. And then here's also something that I think might need to be taken with a little bit of grain of salt, but it's from a reputable source, Andy Robinson. He is with Video Game Chronicle, and he's been spot on with some of his reporting in the past. So uh, that's why I'm bringing it up here. It's not just some rando saying this. Uh, in response to somebody asking him a question about Pokemon, he, and I think in relation to the Pal World discussion, he tweeted earlier this week, quote, from what I've heard, the Pokemon company has taken the response to Scarlet and Violet seriously and is acting on it for future production. And I mean, I, they have to, right? <laughs> like, otherwise, this franchise is just going to be completely abandoned by its fan base. Yeah, yeah. Did you and, go ahead? I was going to say, yes, yeah, specifically like the response, meaning like <laughs> your game needs to be polished more. Probably that slash it needs to have a better performance, like it needs to be yeah. optimized. Okay, yeah. Probably the fact that like their production team needs to be a lot higher because mm -hmm. uh, they've always been famously nimble and small when it comes to their team sizes. I mean, I was looking back over my discussions with Junichi Masuda and Shigeru Omori back when I went to Game Freak in 2019, and they were talking about how going from Sun and Moon to Sword and Shield, which, you know, was the first, or I guess, uh, Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee and Sword and Shield, when they were making those, they basically doubled their team in order mm. to make a game with full 3D assets and console resolution. But, I mean, it still doesn't seem like it's enough. Like, it still seems like they're a very, very small team trying to do work that we've seen much huger teams take on in other other franchises and other companies. So I think that I hope that the the response that my sentiment is it's one of the better Pokemon games. It just runs like garbage. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm what hoping that response tells them like, hey, you guys still make good games. You just need to figure out this one element of it. Yeah, it would be a dramatically different experience. Like I would replay that game completely if, you know, not that this is what they're doing, but if, if that game got like a complete facelift and it ran correctly, like it would it would feel completely different. I'm honestly surprised uh, just given Pokemon's track record, it often feels like uh, they kind of exist in a bubble in terms of like feedback on their games of so people will have an opinion of like, we like this feature, then the next game it's gone. Um, and so to hear that they're like taking it seriously, I'm like, oh, that's a big deal. <laughs> like people got loud enough that they were like, we're going to have to do this. Cause there was the whole, uh, um, like Dexit controversy back with sword and shield. Yeah. Um, and not that I think they should have, but you know, the next game didn't launch with every single Pokemon available in it. Um, like that, I think they heard it and they added more Pokemon in the expansions, but that wasn't a, like fundamental changing thing, even though that was like such a big deal at the time. So um, I'm really interested to see like what form that takes. And if we can like noticeably tell in the next Pokemon entry, whatever that looks like that we're like, oh yeah, they stepped their game. up. Well, I brought this up, I think last week, maybe two weeks ago that I, uh, to your sentiment, I would replay Scarlet or Violet if they put out like a, like, souped up version as a launch title for the next switch game or switch sure. console yeah that would be something that i would do i just don't think they i don't know if they want to do that yeah because then it really draws attention to the fact that they put out a very technically inferior version of this 
and charged full price for it and everything. I mean, unless they gave like all the people who own it like a very minimal cost or free upgrade. Mm -hmm. That's the only way I think they could do that and not have a PR nightmare on their hands. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I don't know I don't know if you how you feel about it, but I do kind of miss the like uh pokemon emerald pokemon platinum just like them releasing the whole new separate game um for some reason i i think i think dlc makes a lot more logical sense but just having a reason to actually go in and replay the whole thing and even if a few things are different um is nice so in this in, in this world where that exists i would be very happy to just have an excuse to do it again yeah, in this instance, it would make a lot more sense to just release like that third ultimate version with yeah, all yeah. the technical problems fixed. It doesn't seem like they were able to fix the technical problems through patches because it was just like probably such a, a bedrock issue with the way the game was built. So, I mean, I, I don't know what their, their best move is. Maybe it's just to move on and yeah. <laughs> hope that a more powerful Nintendo console and a the lessons learned that they that Andy is reporting uh, is enough to carry them into the next generation. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, I don't know when we're going to, the end of February, we always get Pokemon day. So a week from now or a month from now, we'll know what is coming up probably the rest of 2024 from Pokemon. I'm hoping for like a, a, a remake. I, I would love a gen two remake because oh. you know, we've, we've gotten, some recent remakes, but I, I think that like Gen Two is definitely due for a remake, and I would love that. But we'll see. We'll, we'll <laughs> I, I, they. I mean, going back to those old interviews, they were saying that they use Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee as kind of their test run for making a game for consoles, and then they were able to make Sword and Shield from that, using all the lessons they learned from Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee. Mm. And I'm wondering if maybe they could do like a remake with this more like open style figure out if they can hammer out all the problems with that in a remake and then go on to build something all new. But I don't know. I'm sure that it's still just as difficult to optimize a remake as it is to optimize a, a fully new game. So yeah, I don't really know what the answer is aside from they just need to have people who know how to optimize their software for Nintendo's hardware, because like it or not, that is the hardware they're developing exclusively for when it comes to the Pokemon games. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask, do you know if, uh, like, how much of overlap in the team between the Legends Arceus and the Scarlet Violet people were? Because you would know that. You know, I don't know how much overlap there was, just because uh, the last time I was able to talk to the developers, it was before Legends Arceus or Arceus was even announced. Okay. So the last time I talked to them was right before the launch of Sword and Shield. They've been pretty quiet in terms of like the interview opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like they've, I feel like maybe they got a little bit of, uh, I think maybe the backlash that has come at them in recent years maybe has caused them to do less media. Like we did, we we had a Pokemon Sword and Shield on the cover. I mean, I wrote the cover story. I don't think we even had conversations about doing Scarlet Violet. I, I I tried to reach out maybe and they're like, oh yeah, we'll look into it. And I never heard anything back. Right. So I think that maybe it was a conscious decision to do less media. And I don't think that, I mean, I can't recall if there were any interviews that we even had an opportunity to take part in when it came time for either Legends Arceus or Scarlet and Violet. Mm -hmm. If I'm, I mean, I can't recall. I mean, it was a few years ago now at this point or a couple years ago. But yeah, that's, I mean, I that's just, what I want next is a like legends just in set in some other region. Um, 
I'm excited to see them, or hopefully that they would iterate on that formula. I, I loved Legends really Arceus. I mean, that was the best Pokemon game that came out that year for sure. Definitely. Um, um, but games coming out this year, Charles, we've got two new trailers for what are probably Nintendo's two biggest games of this first quarter, I would say. Oh. So first up, we had Mario versus Donkey Kong, which uh, I'm pretty excited for. It's a remake of that original title, I believe it was back on Game Boy Advance. Nothing groundbreaking here. It was just the opening cinematic, which shows Donkey Kong sitting on his chair in the treehouse, flipping through channels, and he sees an ad for a mini Mario toy, and he decides he has to have it. And then he runs out to the store, but it's sold out. So he goes and commits a robbery against the Mario (laughs) toy company. And Mario arrives just in time for the Toads to be running out of the building, followed by Donkey Kong with a big bag full of toys. So Mario chases after him. So that is coming out February 16th. So right around the corner. How are you feeling about this game? Uh, I'm excited. I've never played any of these games. Um, It was always like a franchise that just passed me by enough. Um, But I'm kind of in the mood for some some, uh, 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 puzzly Nintendo goodness right now. Um, so I'm excited to check it out, especially to go back to like the start in like a very clean uh, remake fashion. I, I forget what the Wii U and 3DS was. Tipping Stars. That was it. That I liked mm. that one a lot, but it was completely different. Like it was similar in the sense that you're traversing these puzzles, but you were using a wind up toy. It, you were using one of the mini Mario toys. And basically you would have to set up the level and then you would tell the, the toy to go on its path. And you had to set up the level in such a way that it would bounce around and like climb walls or whatever, like to reach the goal. So it was less about like a platformer and more about just like you adjusting the level so that this mini Mario could reach its goal. Mm. And that was fun. But I'm excited for this because it looks like it's a lot more like direct control puzzles and platforming. Yeah. And uh, as co-op, right? Like there's you can play as a toad with it. Um, I think. I I honestly don't know. <laughs> I think okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say definitively then because I wrote I wrote the magazine uh, preview like or maybe it's the most anticipated. I don't know. I wrote something on it recently, um, and I'm pretty sure you can play as Toad. Okay, well then that'll be even more fun. So that comes out February 16th, and then the next big release from Nintendo got an actual trailer. That is Princess Peach Showtime. And we got the transformation trailer, which showed off several of her uh, transformations, as you might imagine. That seems to be the main game mechanic for this title. And uh, it looks like it's delivering some pretty cool gameplay. So we got very, very, very quick glimpses at these different uh, costumes, I guess, for Peach. So we got Ninja Peach, and it looks like she can stealthily take down enemies and then like wall jump and platform and kind of like run around like a ninja. So that's cool. Cowgirl Peach, which allows her to throw a lasso at enemies and ride horses. Sword Fighter Peach, where she can attack enemies with a sword and like kind of perform these acrobatic moves. Detective Peach, uh, where she can search the environment for clues and talk to characters to, to learn more about something that happened. I don't know what she's going to be investigating, but that that uh, that's one of the more unique ones. And then there's Patisserie Peach. <laughs> which is great alliteration. Uh, it looks like it's like baking mini games and like decorating cakes and stuff. So I don't know what the functionality is going to be with that, but it looks cool. It looks kind of like a Mario party esque, at least in the like few seconds that we got a glimpse yeah. at that. And then the final one they showed off was Kung Fu peach that they showed her kind of jumping between platforms. And then she could use like a spin attack when on, on a pole. 
that knocked out a bunch of enemies that were surrounding it. So I don't know exactly what to make of this game, but it looks like it's going to be fun. And it looks like uh, there's they're having some different gameplay styles that are going to make it so it kind of keeps the gameplay fresh. And I'm happy that she's getting another shot at being kind of the starring character after Super Princess Peach back on, was that DS? Yeah. Okay. So this comes out March 22nd. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'm excited. I... Honestly, like the more I look at it, the more I get like Kirby vibes from it of just like the focus on transforming into different, you know, forms and also just kind of the general tone is like, uh, I don't know, it's got kind of a lighthearted feel to it. Um, And I'm really interested to see like, what exactly these transformations like, is it going to be like, there's a level where you're a Kung Fu Peach or is it going to be a thing you get multiple times or is there going to be like a world? Like I'm interested to see the structure of this game. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited to see. Uh, I, I feel like we haven't had uh, something so experimental in a while, like something that feels completely new. Um, and I'm excited to uh, mess around with it. Mm-hmm. And that comes out March 22nd. I think that it's, it almost seems like they have these segments that are designated for like, all right, this is a cowgirl peach section. Yeah. So we're going to give you that costume. You can transform into it. Um, like, I don't know if you're going to be able to like take Ninja peach into the patisserie peach <laughs> section, <laughs> right. um, nor would you want to, because it seems like Ninja peach might not be as good at baking as patisserie peach. That's so true. that's March 22nd. Very excited to learn more about that game. And one that I think is kind of under the radar one more trailer that we got from first party Nintendo stuff anyway, Splatoon 3 Side Order. It's the DLC that is coming out. Uh, well, we got a release date finally. It, it, I feel like it was supposed to come out last year, but it just kind of quietly got pushed into this year, it seems. But maybe I was wrong. Maybe I maybe that was not the case. But it's a single player expansion. And the trailer is mostly an inkling girl riding on the train and then she falls asleep and then... It almost looks like reality glitches out, and when she awakens, she's in a like kind of a, a version of Inkopolis that's devoid of color. And here's what the description says, which tells us actually a lot about the structure of this. It says, challenge yourself to a new, new single-player campaign side order. As Agent 8, you wake up to discover Inkopolis Square has been drained of color and its residents have gone missing. Looming over the city is the ominous Spire of Order alongside a drone who claims to be off the hook member Pearl agent eight must fight off waves of enemies in floor after floor of challenges on their way to the top of the spire and learn its secrets. Use color chips to boost your abilities in this experience that's designed to be replayed over and over. So that tells me that one, it might be kind of like horde mode style in some waves and like hopefully more of like the puzzles and platforming uh, parts in others. But also, it may be, be it may be a uh, like a roguelite style yeah. format. If it's like a, I mean, the Spire of Order reminds me of Slay the Spire <laughs> immediately. Um, but I mean, mostly it's the part of use color chips to boost your abilities in this experience that's designed to be replayed over and over. That tells me that it it might be like some sort of procedural thing or a roguelite or some sort of thing in that vein. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I'm at. Are you a single player Splatoon player at all? I'm not really a Splatoon guy, but I I'm excited for 
I like that more uh, like AAA games are taking on these like roguelite side modes because it's been such a prominent indie genre for a mm-hmm. while that I like that people are looking at it and being like, oh, this is good. We should incorporate this into our stuff. Yeah, God of um, War just did it at the end of last year to great effect. Yeah, and I think what what surprised me about the God of War one is how much, uh, to me, the beauty of a roguelike is that uh, you can recycle a lot of stuff without it feeling stale because you're you know replaying sections to try and get farther than before. Mm-hmm. And how God of War, a lot of it didn't feel recycled. A lot of it felt like completely new. So I'm really interested to see um splatoon 3 also looks like the same vibe of like they've created this entire new area and it's going to be able to be used over and over again um but it's uh fresh that's, that's a splatoon thing right that so is fresh. that is a splatoon thing yes okay. very good yeah, yeah. thank you i mean if you liked games i mean it, the splatoon single player almost reminds me and this is true of all three single player or i guess all f- four single player campaigns because splatoon 2 got a, a single mm-hmm. player expansion as well so all four of the single player campaigns that have come out for the three entries remind me of a Nintendo game from the GameCube era in Mm. that, like it's just very creative. It almost has a lot of those design conventions, but obviously with the, the benefit of hindsight and retrospect and being able to know better design conventions as they apply to modern gaming. So I love the Splatoon single player stuff. It, that's actually my favorite thing. Like I, I played the crap out of the multiplayer in Splatoon one and two, especially, but the the single player stuff is the always the stuff that sticks with me the most. So I'm I, I really can't wait for more of that. I think that the the final stretch of Splatoon three single player was fantastic, absolutely mm. fantastic, and I'm intrigued more than anything about what this could possibly be. But I, I have a lot of faith because I don't think they've put out a bad single player campaign yet. Yeah. And is this on the uh, expansion pack? You know, I'm not sure. I know it the Splatoon uh, expansion pass. Let's see. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. So the Splatoon 3 expansion pass. Let's see. Does not appear to be. Okay. I think that the Splatoon 2 expansion pass is right. the Octo expansion, it was called. Uh, but I don't think that the the Inkopolis and Side Order DLC, I think that's only $25. Or you can buy the full game plus DLC for $67, oddly enough. Oh. Um, so those are your two options there. I don't think it's included as of now in the Nintendo Switch Online expansion pass. Cool, cool or expansion pack. But anyway, out February 22nd. Uh, very much looking forward to that. And then uh, <laughs> yet another release date. Freedom Planet 2. Have you heard of this series? Yes, I played uh, the first Freedom Planet on the Wii U. Yeah, so Freedom Planet 2 came out on Steam in 2022, and it currently has an overwhelmingly positive review score from more than 3,000 user reviews. And it, the, the series itself is pretty much an homage to the classic Sonic games, but kind of leaning on like the Sega CD style of visuals. And uh, the original one came out in 2014 on uh, on Steam and then came to Switch in 2018. So if you want to get a jump on the franchise, you can go check that out. There's also a downloadable demo on Steam for Free to Planet 2 if you want to check it out without having the, the commitment of 
buying it before its console release date. Um, this time there's three playable characters, but it still seems like it's very much like that kind of 2D Sonic style of gameplay. And mm-hmm. I've played the first one and it's, it's a really good time. So Freedom Planet 2 is coming to PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch on April 4th. So we don't have long to wait. I was actually kind of keeping my eye out for this one because I started playing Freedom Planet 1 on PS4, or I guess PS5, the PS4 version, though, on PS5. And uh, I was like, there's a Freedom Planet 2. Why is it not on consoles? Like It feels mm-hmm. like this is like perfect for consoles. And now we have that, finally. So if you want to check out the first one, it is on the eShop. Uh, but Freedom Planet 2, April 4th on all the platforms. So very much looking forward to that. Do you think you'll, you liked the first one enough to check out Freedom Planet 2? Uh, maybe. I have come to the conclusion that the 2D Sonics aren't really my vibe. Um, but I appreciate and admire their existence, I think. So I'm glad that this is going to be accessible to more people. Well, I appreciate and admire your existence as well. So <laughs> it all works out there. Um, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to check out Freedom Planet 2. I'm... I'm always going to be a 2d sonic guy over a 3d sonic guy so this stuff's right up my alley i will say that it feels a little bit uh i don't know it just feels different having it not be sonic i think that there's a lot to be said about like kind of the brand recognition of having sonic be the character running around on your screen which maybe that says something about it but also maybe some of the level design um just i if i'm comparing it against like sonic one two three knuckles and even mania didn't at least in the first one did not feel quite as good but Mm -hmm. we'll see we'll see how this ends up going i I do want to play more of freedom planet one i've probably put in about two or three hours and i've had a good time with it good enough that i want to keep playing it just so many other games coming out um i think we have one more release date here and uh it's a game i talked about after i went to pax west last year uh i don't know if it's i think it's comp two Q-O-M-P-2. And it's kind of being marketed as the sequel to Pong, even though it's actually a sequel to a 2021 game called Comp. (laughs) And the reason it's being marketed as a sequel to Pong, because Atari bought the rights to the the game. Mm. And the developer was like, oh, I don't want to make a sequel. But they're like, oh, we will if you let us buy the rights. So they they bought the rights and they gave it to the developer behind another game that Atari published that I've talked about on the show, Mr. Run and Jump. Oh, okay. So, so Graphite Labs is developing Comp 2. And basically the, the whole premise is you control the ball in Pong. as But like instead of just like it, the first screen is there's the two paddles hitting the ball back and forth. And you have to try to get around them. And very quickly you realize you can't get around them. So you have to smash through one of the paddles. So those are the two buttons that you can use that one of them makes the ball change direction. The other one charges up and like rams forward and smashes any like breakable objects in front of you. Mm. So uh, you're navigating mazes with puzzles, obstacles, collectibles. The developers say they'll have 30 levels and four bosses and then a ton of hidden collectibles to find. So that comes out on Switch plus all other platforms on February 20th. I played a little bit of it last, I guess that was August or September, and uh, it was great. The first few levels that I played were awesome. So I definitely have February 20th circled on my calendar now because I want to play more of that. And I'm sure I'll talk about it on the show when uh, we're around this time next month. So 
here's we're, we're going to move away from the release date news. I feel like we had a lot of release dates <laughs> get announced over the last week, week and change. So here we are. A video was posted by Universal, longtime Nintendo partner at this point. Uh, you know, they work on the Mario movie, also Super Nintendo World. Showing construction of Epic Universe, which is their new park that is about to open in Orlando. I think next year is when it's set to open. And that is going to be the location of the third Super Nintendo World. Mm. And in that video, we see our uh, our good pal Shigeru Miyamoto in full construction gear touring the site. But, and this is where all the discussion comes from, alongside him is A.G. Numa, <gasps> a.k.a. the head of the Zelda franchise. Whoa. So obviously this has led to a ton of speculation. And uh, last I checked, it seemed like Universal may have taken the video down. But the all the speculation leads to this point. Do you think that this means that we are going to get a Zelda section of the, the Super Nintendo world after the Donkey Kong section, which is the, the next announced area that, uh, you know, it, the first regular Super Nintendo world's Mario, uh, the the one in Osaka and Orlando is getting Donkey Kong Country uh, in 2025. What do you think this means? Do you think it's just like A.G. Numa wanted to go tour the, uh, <laughs> the Super Nintendo World construction site? Or do you think there's other uh, other stuff at play? I mean, I think definitely. But also, just to clarify, in the video, is he like up hanging out with people or is it just kind of like he was noticed in the background? He is standing side by side with Shigeru Miyamoto. Okay. Then absolutely. I mean, totally. <laughs> and that would be so cool. I don't even know. I've never been to Super Nintendo World, but like it, Zelda feels like the obvious next step. I think either Zelda or Animal Crossing is what I would put as the next thing. But I feel like, yeah, I don't know. There's also that uh, live action Zelda movie that's somewhere on the horizon. So I can yeah. definitely see them lining that up somehow. Yeah, I mean... There's also all these reports, like there was reports of Zelda being the next um, Lego collaboration mm. with Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been leaked uh, images that Nintendo has very hastily taken down from YouTube content creators of the Deku Tree. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, there there's a lot of stuff to uh, make you think that maybe Zelda is the next franchise that Nintendo is really going to try to push out more into the mainstream the way they did with Mario over the last couple of years. I mean, not that Mario has ever been some kind of like niche franchise, <laughs> but like, you know, they, they're the, yeah. the theme parks, the, the movie, we already know that there's a Zelda movie coming. Maybe this is like the next expansion for Zelda. Now that they've established Mario as kind of like this multimedia juggernaut and even like, you know, a, uh, uh, an in-person immersive experience that Super Nintendo World is. Maybe that, like, you know, Zelda's, the movie was just the, the start of it. Maybe we're going to start getting a theme park. We already think we're going to get Legos. So, like, Zelda might just be following in the footsteps of what Mario has done to this point. Yeah, I think that's so plausible. I would be kind of amazed if it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> So here is the next story. It's kind of a fun one that emerged from a recent Reddit AMA with the Prince of Persia, the Lost Crown developers. Now, you may recall that the Prince of Persia, the the Lost Crown, uh, I think it's the highest scoring review of the year. I mean, I know it's the highest scoring review of the year within Game Informer. It got a Mm -hmm. 9.5 out of 10 from Wesley LeBlanc. Unbelievable. Um, the, The developers did a Reddit AMA 
on the Metroidvania subreddit, and someone asked world director Remy Boutin if you could make a game for an IP that you don't slash haven't had access to, for example, Mario or Final Fantasy, what IP would you pick and what kind of game would you make? Mm. And Boutin said, personally, I would love, all caps, to work with the Zelda IP. Maybe a strange spinoff based on Adventure of Link, which you know is Zelda 2 from NES. Mm. And of course, Castlevania in, in parentheses. Um, you know, the Metroidvania subreddit. So of course he's going to say Castlevania. That sounds impossible at first, but I do want to remind people that Ubisoft already makes a Mario spinoff title in Mario plus Rabbids. That's true. So there is an existing relationship. I mean, ever since Cadence of Hyrule, like I've never known what to, <laughs> I don't know what to expect from them. The That's the most that, surprising I feel yeah. of all of like the, the licensed titles from Nintendo. Yeah. So I, I like, I think this is more reasonable to exist than Gates of Hyrule. <laughs> That's so fair. I'm, I'm totally down for it. I, I genuinely, I think, like, when it comes to remaking games, like, I think there's a bunch of reasons to do it. But I think, like, remaking Adventure of Link in with, like, modern conventions, I think would be genius for a number of reasons. The main one being, like, um, there's a lot of stuff about that game that makes it, like difficult and hard to get into and like there's a lot of barriers for entry and so to take what's there and build it into something that i think a modern audience could enjoy i think would be great and that i think would be per- prince of Persia lost crown is awesome so even if you just put link in that game somewhere i would be happy uh, but yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want them to stop just there though I, I mean honestly there's been so much talk of zelda remakes lately zelda 2 is one that comes up pretty regularly alongside ocarina of time so why not just let a team, I mean, maybe this is just one guy that's doing it, but uh, making the statement, but like, why not make it a team that shows they know how to make really compelling 2D combat? That's what Zelda 2 is, is it's mm-hmm. side-scrolling combat. Why not just let them do a full remake of Zelda 2? Like, that seems like a, a no-brainer if they can collaborate with them in the way that they have with like uh Hyrule Warriors, for example, where another team developed it, but like, you know, AG Numa is producing it and kind sure. of overseeing the entire development process. Yeah, so, definitely. It seems like a no brainer to me, but of course, you know, it, it's a lot easier said than done to get literally any video game project <laughs> off the ground. So, yeah. Uh, but that I'm glad that there's interest there and they spoke it out into existence. Cause maybe, you know, maybe that's all it would take for Nintendo to be like, Oh, that's a good idea. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's been a while since, like, I don't know, there, there's a, a cadence for a while of, like, 3D Zelda, 2D Zelda. Um, I think our last 2D was Link's Awakening in, like, 2019. Like, yeah, I, that we're, was a we're, remake. We're due for some kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, I didn't even process that, yeah. We're due, we're due for something like that, I feel like. Um, yeah, I mean, the last all-new 2D Zelda game, I mean, I guess uh, Triforce Heroes, which... <laughs> That's true. Uh, but, like, the last good one <laughs> was <laughs> A Link Between Worlds. Yeah. Which was, like, what, 2013? Yeah, 2014? Something. 2013. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would be all on board for that. But, meanwhile, Christoph Peek, uh, who was another member of the development team doing the AMA... He said he wanted, quote, a crossover of Bubble Bobble and Dark Souls, even if that can sound weird. Okay. What is Bubble Bobble? You don't... Oh, my God. (laughs) So, it was an old arcade game. Okay. By Taito. And have you ever seen Bust a Move? 
where like the, the little dinosaurs are pointing the uh, the bubbles and like trying to do like match three on those. No. Okay. Well, it's those characters, and they basically it's like a platformer where you work your way down, shoot out the dinosaurs can shoot little bubbles out of their mouth, to trap enemies, and they float up and then like collect stuff in the area before you move on to the next screen. It was uh, like in the okay. NES days. I see it. I, I'm looking at images now. It looks vaguely familiar. It was fun. It's a fun game. So he wants to do Dark Souls and Bubble Bobble as his like dream <laughs> crossover. So yeah, have at that too. But uh, maybe start with Zelda. Uh-huh. All right. So a few more here. I guess a couple more. Nintendo announced two new live music performances that uh, nobody can go to live, but there will be broadcasts on YouTube. And these performances coincide with the original dates for Nintendo Live Tokyo, which they canceled late last year. Mm. It was supposed to happen next month in Tokyo, but they ended up canceling it. The first one is the Legend of Zelda Orchestra concert, and that is a pre-recorded performance broadcasting on February 9th at 8 a.m. Eastern on YouTube. And it's likely, I mean, probably the exact same show that I saw at Nintendo Live in Seattle last fall. At Nintendo uh, at that that uh, expo, so I saw that, and then I saw the Super Mario Super Big Band, I think it was called, where they just mm. had like a, a big band with like brass and drums and guitar play Mario songs. That does not seem like it's getting a YouTube performance, but what is? This is a day later. The Splatoon Three Deep Cut concert will be broadcast on February 10th, and I'm assuming you love Zelda music, yep. like who doesn't? But have you, I mean, I, even not being a Splatoon player, have you listened to any of the Splatoon music? Because you're, you're a big music guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've played all the Splatoons. I spent the most time with Splatoon 1. And I think that's when I decided it wasn't for me, but I've, I've played all of them since then. Um, the Splatoon music, wild, and is, is probably the a perfect example of, I have no idea how this would happen live. <laughs> like so much of it <laughs> seems digital to me. Like, I don't know if you're going to have someone on a microphone going like, wah, 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 wah. and then you just, I don't know, put a bunch of pedals on it. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm fascinated to see that just because I don't even understand. Uh, is it is it an orchestral version of it or is it just like, I think they're going to have the actual like bands because all those songs are performed by like bands that they yeah. have uh, like uh, some of them are developers on Splatoon. It, it almost gives me like old school like harmonics vibes when they were sure. making Guitar Hero where like all the bonus tracks were from bands like on Guitar Hero 1 and 2. A lot of the bonus tracks were from bands that members of harmonics were actually in. Which like if you go back and like uh, some of those were just like, oh, this is like the CEO of Harmonix's like <laughs> rock band that he plays in at nights. And like this is the community manager's band. And like because there were so many musicians there. So I, from what I understand, some of the developers are actually in some of the Splatoon bands. So it'll probably be kind of like a, a, a rock concert if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I mean, maybe it is going to be an orchestral thing, but I don't think it is. I think it's going to be in stark contrast that, yeah. to the or- to the Zelda orchestra. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm super excited for that. I can definitely get behind it. And also for, I mean, I think it goes without saying the Zelda one. I had the, uh, did it come with Skyward Sword? There was like a, a orchestral like CD from like the 25th anniversary. I think it did. Or like maybe like the, it wasn't the collector's edition. Cause that came with like a special like Wii remote, I think. Yeah, or it, it might have, I don't know. I don't know how I got my hands on it, uh, but I love it. And I still have it somewhere. Um, just any orchestral re- redoing of that music is very exciting. So I, I definitely want to watch 
all of this. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching both of them. I think I'm most excited for the Splatoon one, although I will say that when I saw the Zelda Orchestra concert, like in person, it definitely hit different. Yeah, I think I teared up like three times because it's just like so emotional having like a full on like it was like 60 plus piece orchestra. Yeah, or something like that. Performing it, it just it you feel it in your chest, like the tightness as like it's like, oh, my God, they're playing whatever song from my favorite game. Uh, but the Splatoon three deep cut concert sounds like it is going to be my, my jam for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and we are going to wrap up on another Nintendo music story because we learned that the most legendary composer in video game history is getting his dues, uh, at the, the dice expo in February. Tommy Tallarico. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Koji Kondo. Getting inducted into the AIAS Hall of Fame. I forget uh, what the exact acronym is there. But the awards are going to take place on February 15th in Las Vegas. and will be live streamed by IGN. So I've attended this award show one time. And the, the media has kind of like a backstage area that they bring all the recipients in. When I was a... When I was there, I've only been there once. When I was there, Ed Boon was the recipient, uh, the Mortal Kombat co-creator was the recipient mm-hmm. of like the kind of the Hall of Fame induction. And they brought him back and we got to like ask him questions and everything. So I'd imagine he's going to have a little bit of a, a Q&A session with some reporters as well, which is always fun. I, I got to interview Koji Kondo alongside Shigeru Miyamoto last year, and they're both just delightful human beings. So I bet I, I think he's going to. He, he's well-deserving, obviously. I mean, I always call him, like, basically the John Williams of yeah. video games. Like, it's like John Williams of video games is Koji Kondo, and then Shigeru Miyamoto, I would say, is like the Walt Disney of video games. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but so Koji Kondo has been with Nintendo since 1984, and here are just here's a selection of his his work that he has done. So Super Mario Brothers series, obviously, Legend of Zelda series. Uh, including games like Ocarina of Time, the original Zelda. So, like, think of all those iconic songs just from those two series alone. Uh, games like Mario Sunshine, New Super Mario Brothers, Mario Galaxy, Skyward Sword, Mario 3D World. And then his most recent work was on Super Mario Brothers Wonder. So he's still going strong. Mm. And he's now the Senior Officer of Entertainment Planning and Development Division. So he's uh, moving on up. And previous inductees include uh, last year was Tim Schafer. I mentioned that the year before that was Ed Boon, uh, Todd Howard, Hideo Kojima, Leslie Benzies, Tim Sweeney, Gabe Newell, uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi. And then the first inductee back in 1998, the only other Nintendo member to be inducted to this point, Shigeru Miyamoto. Okay. I was going to say that he feels like the first one I would think of. So I'm glad he was on the list. Yeah, it, it would be impossible. I, I was actually looking through like the, the inductees list when I was putting together the, this outline. And I was like, if Miyamoto's not in it, then what are we even doing? And I was like, <laughs> oh, of course he was number, he was the first one. Because I was like, you know, it's in reverse chronological order on their website. So I'm scrolling through it, going back, back, back. And I'm like, okay, yeah, all these people are very, very deserving. But where's Miyamoto? And then it's like, oh, yeah, he's yeah. literally number one with a bullet <laughs> back in 1998. So seems like they induct one or two people, like especially if like those two people work together. Like they had the doctors from BioWare inducted together a few years ago. They had Dan and, Dan and Sam Hauser from Rockstar 
um, inducted. So uh, yeah, it's been um, it, it's been a steady drip of legends. And I, I mean, you look at the names on the list, like even with all those people on it, you're like, really? It took this long for them to get to Koji Kondo? But I mean, <laughs> hey, well-deserved. And uh, congratulations to the greatest composer maybe of all time in the video game industry. I mean, I, I, I know I'm a big fan of uh, Nobuo Uematsu on the early, especially the early Final Fantasy games. Mm-hmm. Like just unbelievable work there. And of course, there are so many fantastic working composers today that, you know, they're unbelievably talented as well but just the influence of koji kondo's work i mean how many people have never haven't picked up a video game in 25 years but they can still hum at least four of that guy's compositions like by heart like what is it like the mario overworld theme the mario uh, underground theme the zelda overworld theme and then like i'm sure there's like other ones that he's done that are just ingrained in pop culture and burned into people's memories that like of course he's going to be like in any kind of video game hall of fame that exists. Yeah. So happy for Mr. Kondo. Yeah. And uh, like I said, he's, he was a delight in person. So I'm glad that like he fits that bill of like all the, the wonderful people at Nintendo that I've interviewed over the years, because uh, I, I don't think I've had like a bad interaction with anybody at Nintendo because they all seem to be just, rays of sunshine and i don't know if that's just really good media training or if that's just how they are maybe both (laughs) maybe both but yeah we are gonna take a quick break and when we get back we'll be getting charles review of apollo justice ace attorney trilogy and i'll be giving some impressions of hitman blood money reprisal we'll be right back Like I said at the top of the show, we are still waiting on some of the major releases, especially coming from Nintendo, to hit the Switch in 2024, but we have a couple of noteworthy titles that arrived on the platform this past week. One of those is a collection of games from Capcom, Apollo Justice Ace Attorney Trilogy. Charles, what was your history with these games coming into your playthrough of this trilogy? Um, I'm a really big Ace Attorney fan. I have played uh, the original trilogy twice. I played it on DS, and then I played it uh, on Switch a few years ago. And then I also played The Great Ace Attorney, which is a spinoff that takes place in England about uh, one of Phoenix Wright's ancestors. And I played that in, like, 2022, I want to say. Um... And then I had played Apollo Justice, the first game of this trilogy, once on my phone before because I didn't have the DS copy and I was yeah. like, it's on mobile. Um, and I never played the other two games of this trilogy before. Okay, so you, you have a baseline understanding of, or you have a good understanding of the series, but only a baseline understanding of this trilogy. Yes, and Apollo as a character. Okay, and from what I understand, like we're going to jump right into it here, that first game that you played was the weakest of it, right? Um, I would say the weakest is Dual Destinies. Um, the first one is, uh, it's the most low-key. It, it makes the fewest big decisions. Um, also, I guess just to preface, if, if someone doesn't know who, what Ace Attorney is, um, this is a series, it's a, an adventure game where you do 
uh, investigations and you are a lawyer and you'll defend a client in court, almost always a murder trial. Um, and you'll listen to statements that people say, and then you'll uh, cross-examine them and then object to them when they say something wrong. So they might be like, and I never saw the client that afternoon. And then you're like, objection, I have a picture of you with the client that afternoon. Um, and so there's a lot of puzzle solving and mystery, and it's also very funny. Um, so yeah, uh, the original three games are kind of like the series, you know, sacred origin. Um, the first one's very good. Second one's very good. The third one is like a great culmination of all of them. Um, and then what happened after that is the series, uh, uh, director Shu Takumi, uh, had basically come to the conclusion they were like, we're done telling Phoenix Wright's story. We need to come up with someone new. Uh, and then they came up with Apollo Justice. Um, and then eventually, I don't know if it was for marketing reasons or otherwise, um, they ended up bringing Phoenix back in the next two games as like a playable character. Um, but Apollo is in all three games, even though his name's not on all of them. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, go ahead. I guess what is the, uh, how does Apollo Justice does he play any different from uh, Phoenix Wright? Because I've only played Phoenix Wright games. Yeah, it is a little... I mean, the, the only difference is that um, uh, Phoenix's uh, big thing in the original... Uh, it starts in the second game, but it's also in the third game. He's got this uh, thing called the Magatama, and you can use it to tell when someone's lying to you and then try to break down these, like, psyche locks that they have and see what's at the uh, the base of them. Um, Apollo has a different thing. He has this bracelet that reacts when he can tell someone's lying and you go into this, uh, like close up camera and you can zoom in on parts of their body to see like when they have a tell and then you can like point that out and that's how you can prove that they're lying. Um, so that's the main, really the only difference. Um, and in Apollo justice, Ace attorney, which is the name of the first game and the name of the trilogy, um, it's very traditional. It's still 2D art. It's the same director. It's still Shu Takumi. So it's a very like faithful uh, continuation of the series. Um, and I would say if you've played the original trilogy, uh, that first game is like definitely worth checking out because it's pretty quick. It kind of feels like an epilogue. Um, it takes place mm -hmm. seven years later. And Phoenix is in it. You just aren't playing as him. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's a good game. That's a good game. It's uh, four trials. Uh, these other games each have six trials. They're much longer. Um, Dual Destinies, uh, as opposed to like the very faithful Apollo Justice Ace Attorney, <laughs> the next game is called Phoenix Wright colon Ace Attorney hyphen Dual Destinies. Oh. Um, it, it reintroduces Phoenix. Uh, you also play as Apollo and then introduces a third attorney named Athena Sykes. <clears throat> um, and... It's a lot of protagonists, but it, each trial you only follow like one of them specifically, so it's not like that hard to follow or anything. Um, and that's the game that's like I think the most controversial in the series because it's got a new art style. Shu Takumi, who directed all of the other games, he didn't direct this one because he went on to direct the Great Ace Attorney games. Um, so this is like a slightly different team, um, and this was the one that was like. Uh, my least favorite specifically because the beginning is it takes some getting used to the new art. And I don't think the writing is as solid. Um, and yeah, I, I, Oh, it's also uh, uh, the other thing about it is it's, it's a big jump in time. So the distance between Ace attorney three and four, so Ace attorney three and Apollo justice 
Um, that's like a three-year gap, I think. I think it was 2004 to 2007. This one, it goes from 2007 all the way to 2013. So even though they're right back-to-back in the trilogy as if they were like just coming out next to each other, mm-hmm. it's a long time. And so you can tell they're making efforts to like reintroduce people into the genre. Um, so especially after you've just completed another game, it feels kind of like hand-holdy in the beginning. Sure. Um, the first two trials <laughs> specifically, they'll show you clips of the murder happening or the event happening and you know who does it. So then you go in and you, you haven't, you know exactly who it is the whole time. So that kind of took some fun out of it for me. Um, but the latter three trials are much better. Um, and then the third game in the trilogy, uh, I was, so I came off of dual destinies kind of cold. I was like, eh, it was fine. The ending was good, but I'm not sure I like the directions going. Uh, the third game in the trilogy is called Phoenix, Wright colon Ace attorney hyphen spirit of justice. Um, and that game rocks. <laughs> yeah. Um, that game, it takes place in a different country where, uh, lawyers, if they defend someone and they fail, then they are subject to the same sentence that person would take. Um, <laughs> so if you fail to defend someone for murder and they're sentenced to death, then you're also sentenced to death. Oh my um, God. So the stakes are so much higher. Um, and I really like that. Um, there's all this like politics with the royal family. Um, it's the return of Maya Fey, who's like one of the main characters in the original trilogy, and she's not in these other two games, and that's like nice to see. Um, and it really felt like it, it took a different direction and spiced things up, and kind of reminded me why I like the Great Ace Attorney so much because it's the same formula, but when you can just remix the characters and the location, everything feels way better. Um, so yeah, good games. Do you, have, do you have any questions? <laughs> I'm just trying to like take all this in because yeah. like, I guess like uh, you, you know, you talked about like how like these games were released over the course of several years. It wasn't just back to back the way they are experienced in this, this trilogy. Do you get the sense of that in terms of like the technological leap between them as well? Um, there, there are some ways that the games have been kind of normalized. So like they all use the same UI Oh, okay. Um, so it's not it. They definitely did like a lot to uh, rework them, and and the visuals in like Apollo Justice, they were like pixelated on the DS days, and now it's like a kind of painted style. Um, and then the visuals on the two 3DS games look way better than they did on 3DS. Um, like to the standard that if you told me this came out on Switch now and like it wasn't a remake at all, I would totally believe that because it feels like that. Um, Another thing I didn't mention is there's a little uh, museum section. Uh, So you can uh, go in there. You can see some concept art. Uh, You can play music from all the games, which is all very good. Um, And then there's also a little animation studio. (laughs) So if there's... uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those... uh, there was like a bot on Twitter for a while that was the Ace Attorney bot, and you could turn Twitter conversations into Ace Attorney yes, arguments. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what I thought this would be like, and it's not. So I was kind of Aww. disappointed. Um, but it's basically like if there's a character and they have a particular animation when they say a certain thing, you can just watch that over again. Um, oh, good. And that's how that's how I actually got the thumbnail for my review is I went into the thing and I got Apollo justice to point in his objection pose. And then that was the, the header. Um, but yeah, there's some, some of those uh, animations, especially like the breakdowns, which is like when you catch the villain at the very end of the trial, they have like a big overdramatic explosion of something wild. 
Um, you can rewatch all of those if you want, which is fun. Um, so that, that's like that's like a nice touch. I don't think that's like a reason to get the game. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's a really solid trilogy. Like you really loved it. What'd you end up giving it? Uh, 8.5. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very good score on our uh, review scale. And uh, you said you put in like 80 plus hours of this? Yeah, it, it took me, I think the Switch timer said 85, but I usually round down because I'm one to like leave the game running while I go like make food or something. Um, yeah, and I think per game, it would probably be something like uh, 20 hours for the first game and then 30 hours for the other games just because the first one was <laughs> so much shorter. Um but yeah, I guess also, uh, if this is your introduction to Ace Attorney, if you've never heard it before and you're kind of interested, um, I would say this is probably the worst starting point. <laughs> um, I, I think it's perfectly coherent. Like, I think you could understand it, but there's no reason to not go play the Phoenix Wright trilogy first to just, like, get a feel of that. Um, it's also cheaper. It's also cheaper. Um, and then also the great Ace Attorney is, like, a much more modern... That's got 3D graphics, but that game is awesome, too. Um, and it's... I think the same length <laughs> as this. My goodness. Um, they're big games, but it doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't feel like it to me because you're kind of just watching these people talk. So it kind of feels like you're watching a TV show. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I enjoyed the the Ace Attorney games I have played. I, I just don't know if I enjoy them enough to dive into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to like check it out maybe, but like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be putting the 85 hours that you did. I think it's, uh, it's definitely the thing of I, – I, I personally have a thing where if, if there's a mystery in something, I like – I'm so hyper-focused on it really hard. <laughs> and so it's very easy for me personally to lose track of time. So like if you told – if you asked me how long this took, I probably went like, oh, 40 hours. Um, and then the timer said 80 hours. It's like, oh, jeez. Spending <laughs> oh, a lot of time with this game. But I have, yeah. I have wasted my life. No. <laughs> Anything you do – that you enjoy is not a waste of your life. Just remember that. Thanks, true. Uh, so many people. Life, life's not a waste of time, so let's stop wasting life. That's exactly it. Um, so this game, out now, $50 if you want the full trilogy. If you just want to dip your toe into the franchise, a great place to start is that Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney trilogy that Charles mentioned. That's $30 on the eShop. So choose your destiny i suppose if you and are often on to... sale also <clears throat> yeah especially since that one came out i think in 2019 so it's been out for about five years now yeah and uh probably goes on sale fairly regularly at this point uh but yeah you give it an 8.5 you can check out the full review on gameinformer.com uh it's not the only game that came out on january 25th on switch that oh. uh is a collector i guess a uh, an older game hitman blood money did you ever play this game charles I have not played a Hitman game before. Okay. So if you do want to play a Hitman game, I would recommend the current Hitman game that has like all of the, like it's called the World of Assassination Trilogy. Yeah. And it's the modern one that like, you know, I think you buy Hitman 3 and then you can buy the Hitman 1 and 2 level packs from as DLC. Those are the ones I would recommend you playing. I believe it's available on the cloud for Switch, but you know, go play it on PlayStation or Xbox. What are you doing? (laughs) Uh, this one is Hitman Blood Money Reprisal. So this game originally came out in 2006 on Xbox 360, original Xbox, and PS2. This is the Xbox 360 version, uh, or at least that that version of it. I mean, I, I think it was ported to other platforms as well, so I don't know exactly which one, but it was the version that was on Xbox 360 and then eventually ported to other consoles. 
this one, it, it was the game that really put the Hitman franchise, I would say, on the map in terms mm-hmm. of like mainstream. It uh, it was, I believe, an Xbox 360 launch title, <clears throat> and it it really established the formula that would be the Hitman franchise up until pretty much the the reboot back in uh, 2015 or 2016. So it was it established kind of the format for like the next decade to come, and you know you you the whole thing is you take on a contract and then you travel to that location and you have to infiltrate and then figure out a way to creatively take out your target. So you you without any witnesses or if there are witnesses, like they have to think it, it's an accident. Mm. So like you go to the opera, for example, and like you have to rig it so that like. Oh, and when something happens, like a commotion happens outside and the guy runs out to see what's going on. And when he does, the chandelier falls and kills him. Uh, So it's like puzzles and sandboxes kind of like in that regard. And then like, you know, or the, the, the tutorial is you're sneaking past all of these like gang members in a, an abandoned warehouse. And you got to kind of get up to the guy who is like the ringleader and take him out. And like to do that, you know, you, you, stealthily come in and distract the guards by throwing like something over off to the side and they they walk over it's very very much a game of its era where it's like that kind of like assassin's creed og style where mm-hmm. oh i have a coin i can throw the coin and the guards will go what's that and they'll walk over and be distracted for a weirdly long amount of time so you can sneak past them um like I said, it's very much a game from 2006. So don't expect this to be like, oh, this is the modern reimagining of Hitman Blood Money. Um, You know, there's really like artifacts from like that era of gaming in terms of like their, the character models, the voice acting, the voice lines that they're saying, the way that the sound is designed, like the controls all feel like they're from 2006. So don't expect this to be like some sort of modern game. But they do add a few things. So the the mini map is a big one because that shows like your situational awareness that shows the NPCs that are like nearby that shows points of interest. It adds extra alerts that warn like when Agent 47 is uh, having like suspicion aroused around him or like when he's trespassing. Mm. There's also instinct mode, which was introduced in later games that they brought into this, where you press the, I think it's the left bumper, and it highlights uh, mission critical points of interest. Mm. So, like, all right, you can do a stealthy kill by interacting with this, or you can climb this and it'll like lead to a getaway. So, it's just, you know, things of that era. Same thing that, like, you know, Assassin's Creed was doing. So, They've modernized it in a few small but important ways, but it's still very, very much an old game. So something to that's just something to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was enjoying what I played of it. I only played the in, the the beginning of Hitman Blood Money Reprisal, but if you have nostalgia for this game, then this is a perfectly good way to play it, and it runs fine on the Switch from what I've what I've seen. Um, and it's $30 and out now if you are interested in checking it out on the Nintendo Switch. I, I'm happy to have a version of it on the go. Yeah, I was going to say, where where were you when this game first came out? Do you remember? I I mean, I was a freshman in, in college. So 2006, yeah, because I remember talking about it. I used to be a, a tennis instructor 
in the summers. And I remember oh. talking about it with my uh, my fellow uh camp leaders <laughs> like during our breaks we were talking about ways that because it's very much like a, a a sandbox type game so it's like oh i'm stuck on the the las vegas level how did you do that and it's like oh i did this and it rigged this to explode or something and it's mm-hmm. like oh my god i'm gonna go try that tonight and you know it was very much like water cooler literally water cooler moments because we'd be over at the water cooler like yeah. refilling our, our water bottles or whatever talking about this game um so yeah, I was I was in college. So if you have nostalgia for this game, this is uh, this seems like a good way to play it. So, uh, but just be warned, nostalgia sometimes will give you some rose tinted glasses to how games felt back when you first played them. Especially these, I would say the the first decade and a half or so of true 3D gaming, it, it was a little rough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, just something to keep in mind as you decide whether or not you want to pick up this title. But um, if you are going in with eyes open to the fact that your nostalgia may be blinding you to some of the shortcomings of that 2006 game, uh, this is this is a perfectly solid way to enjoy it. So out now, $30, Hitman Blood Money Reprisal. Uh, do you think any any part of you wants to check this game out? Uh, probably not. But Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, especially like, all right, let's put our cards on the table. What year were you born? Uh, 2000. So I was six. Okay. So too young to play this rated M for mature game on Xbox 360. But um, yeah, I would not recommend you check it out. Like I said, people who did not play this game originally, unless you have a like, unless Hitman, like the current Hitman games are your favorite games of all time. And you want to go back and experience the history of the, the franchise and see like kind of the roots. Maybe then it's worthwhile. Outside of that, like nostalgia is the only motivating factor I think that people should have for checking this out or having a version of one of your favorite games from 2006 on the go and you don't have a Steam Deck, then yeah, this one is the one to go. So that is Hitman Blood Money Reprisal. Charles, we are going to take our final break of the episode. When we get back, we're going to do Everybody Votes. We'll be right back after this short musical interlude. We are going to close out this episode of All Things Nintendo with another iteration of Everybody Votes. We did one uh, just recently, I think last week. Everything's blurring together, sorry. But I put up a poll yesterday asking people, what should the next Nintendo console be called? Very hotly contested uh, conversations going around. So before I tell you the results of this poll, Charles, what do you think the next Nintendo console should be called? Um, here's the thing. Whatever I guess is zero. It won't have anything to do. I feel like I've never been close. Um, I either go way too far or like not far enough. I feel like it would be like, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's just going to be the new Nintendo switch. Like I don't like that. (laughs) But I feel like that's unless, unless there's like some like, uh, I don't know some some big hardware iteration. I think it'd be named after that, but I think I think my guess is just the Nintendo Switch. So here are the four options that I presented people on Twitter. Okay, Nintendo Switch Two. Okay, Super Nintendo Switch. Ooh, some other name with Switch in the title, or something without Switch in the title. Mm. So 
of those four, what would you choose? Um, honestly, I like Super Nintendo Switch. I, I'm going to pick that one because I, I hope they go that route. Well, you're in line with the majority of the people who voted in my poll. Ooh. Got over 330 votes. Uh, Super Nintendo Switch took home 58%. Nice. Nintendo Switch 2 was the second choice with 22.7%. Something not with Switch in the title was 12.4%. or And then some other Switch name, 6.9%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, And then I'm looking at some of the comments here. Uh Profit 86 says, or they could call it Switch U, which I really hope they don't. <laughs> uh, Brittany Brombacher, who was just on the show a few weeks ago, said, if it's not Super Nintendo Switch, I riot. Uh, Gabe Gerwin says, anything other than Switch 2 will be the Wii U all over again, which mm. I could see that. Like, if you said yeah. Super Nintendo Switch, I feel like there could be some confusion with people thinking, like, oh, this is just like a mid-generation upgrade. And not an all-new console, because you know, think of how prevalent the Nintendo Switch is. It's the highest-selling home console Nintendo's ever put out. So I feel like it might be worth just putting a Nintendo Switch 2. That, I mean, that's kind of my sentiment at this sure. point. Is like, think about, like, everybody is conditioned to be like, all right, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, all the way up to 5. There's never any confusion that this is the next iteration of or the next generation of PlayStation consoles, right? Wii U, there was a lot of confusion. And even like when Xbox Series X and S and all that came out, there was even a little bit of confusion from some people. Like not like the people who were really tuned in to like any gaming news, but there was some confusion among mainstream people. Like just talking to my friends who are not like big gamers, but they'll have like one console per generation. They were like, all right, so what is, is that like uh, just the same console, more powerful? Because you have to remember, before there was Xbox Series X, there was Xbox One X. Right. Which was very, very confusing. Which was was already confusing compared to Xbox One. Correct. Like, what's the difference? So that is my only hesitation with Super Nintendo Switch. Yeah. And why I would probably lean Nintendo Switch 2 on this list. Uh, Some other, let's another Switch U. Uh... Yeah, and then CJ Melendez, who is a uh, PR person in this industry, says, Super Nintendo Switch sounds cool to gamers, but it poses the risk of a Wii U situation again. The average person yeah. won't think it's a next-gen successor and instead a modest upgrade or a variant. Now, my only thing here is, like, this Nintendo just doesn't do that. They just don't do I think the only Nintendo console with a 2 in the title is the 2DS. <laughs> yeah. And that was the, what, the fifth iteration on the ds if you even count it as a different thing i mean they did 3ds over the the original ds but like yeah i mean i'm seeing uh so uh ryan tatum uh who's another pr person they say nintendo switch advance i love that that'd be a cute nod to nintendo's past uh, let's see. I think I think the other thing about like Super and Advance as like console titles is there it does feel like more. Like it feels like an inherent kind of progression as opposed to like Wii U. That was like never like adding the word U to something. I don't think really uh, implies any advanced technology. It's just like a different letter. Whereas like Advance, it's like okay, they've they've moved forward. They've advanced. Um, so I, I, I do think I see that being confusing that in the super one, 
but I do think it's better than the Wii U at the very least. Yeah, I would agree there. And then uh, Tay120N64 on Twitter says, everyone saying Super Nintendo Switch is not considering that we will have to suffer seven years of Nintendo Switch 64 jokes. So fair <laughs> enough. So that is the results. Uh, number one was Super Nintendo Switch. Number two, Nintendo Switch 2. Number three, something not with Switch in the title. Number four, some other Switch name. Has your, has your position changed at all? Are you still team Super Nintendo Switch? I mean, that's the one I like the most. I still I still see a reality where it's the new Nintendo Switch. Even though I, I don't really like hope it. not. I mean, because they've already established that as a mid-generation upgrade because the new Nintendo 3DS... Sure. Yeah. I mean, okay. I guess, I guess we've been, I, I, in my brain this whole time, I haven't even considered that it's more than that, I guess. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be a full next generation. Sure. I just I, hope it has backwards that. compatibility. That's all I yes. care about at this point. But I think that's my thing of, of, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm thinking more DS to 3DS in my brain. I would love that. Honestly, like I'm just yeah. don't make it a 3D system. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, give us lots of extra horsepower. Let these games run a little bit better or a lot better. And uh, yeah, do a lot of what the Switch does, but better. That's mm. ultimately what I'm kind of hoping for. So, I mean, Nintendo Switch 2 or Super Nintendo Switch, either of those would get that across, I think. Mm-hmm. So, Charles, that's an episode. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was excited to talk about Ace Attorney. And you talked about it a lot, and it was great. (laughs) And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw All Things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. And if you want to get any questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or hit me up on social media at Brian Pichet. You can also join the Game Informer community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel. Charles, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Uh, I am everywhere at ChuckDuck365. That is our show for this week. Thank you all again so much for listening. Take care. We'll see you next time.